Hello and welcome to Scott Rock, our brand new podcast by Climb Scotland, bringing you climbing stories and mountain tales from Scottish underdogs and local heroes. Your hosts are the legendary, well, me, Callum McBain, and me, Robert McKenzie. Callum, what is the plan, bud? Well, we both love interview podcasts, and for our jobs, we get to travel around and speak to loads of different climbers. So we thought we would combine both of these things and share the stories we hear through this podcast. That's right. We're not just interviewing the hardcore among you, but literally anyone that we think has a cool story to tell. And we know that there's a lot of you out there. So keep an eye out every fortnight for the latest Climber Chat. And if you have anyone you'd like to hear from, or if you want to be in the show yourself, let us know and spread the Scott Rock word. And remember, guys, when you get back out there climbing, back to the crags, back to the walls, be safe and do your buddy checks. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome back to Scott Rock. You are back with Robert and I hope you have been enjoying the show so far. Um, We kicked this thing off with two of the coolest climbers that I know and, well, we ain't about to stop there. In this episode, I sat down with the one and only Mr. Mike Pescott. For those who know who Mike is, you know how cool this guy is and how much of a legend he is. So you, I know, will be excited for this one. But for those of you who don't know Mike, he is an international mountain guide, founder of a guiding business here based in Fort William. Uh, His journey through life to get him here has been full of adventures and learning curves, some good, some bad, but all epic stories. And he sat down with me a couple of months ago to give me the rundown. Um, Now, before we kick off, I need to make an apology to you and to Mike. I am sorry. When we did this interview, I was still very new to recording interviews. My microphone didn't work and I had to record this on my phone. Uh, So the sound quality is not great. Uh, So please bear with me with the audio. I'd recommend headphones for this one, and I promise that my interview skills and my recording skills have improved since then. But please stick it out, enjoy the chat with Mike, and yeah, enjoy. I was interviewing McTighe the other day, and uh, I mean, that one was actually hilarious oh man yes like actually hilarious oh he's great he's a a superstar when he is a lift he's he's phenomenal the stuff he's done and the stories that he tells it's brilliant his knowledge of history and all all those it's ridiculous everything it's just yeah yeah, there was a lot of things I didn't know about him either I didn't know he was a mercenary right okay did you know that no see see, there you go after he left he was a mercenary for a little bit Wow. Yeah, that was a good story, actually. Oof, yeah. uh, cool, yeah. right, let's let's kick off. Cool, we are sitting here at Three Wise Monkeys in their little white room again with Mr. Mike Pescott. Hello. The local legend. A <laughs> <laughs> modest local legend, but uh, international, British and international mountain guide? Well, both. It's British both. mountain guide. Yeah. It's the British, British mountain guide. Uh, but international mountain guides is good as well because yeah. it's uh, linked with the International Federation of Mountain Guides Associations. Yes, yeah. Uh, try saying that with a cold cheek. You know, it's <laughs> quite tricky to get out. Uh, so it's the worldwide body of yeah. guides, guides associations. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that's the that's the title that kept coming up, and I was sort yeah. of doing a bit of research on your name anyway. Yeah. Uh, but I I had always known you as a British mountain guide. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you're a pro athlete. Yes. Yeah. Yes, uh-huh. <laughs> sitting there so, in the yacht jacket yeah I do you know. wear it I mean, they send me so much stuff but and I don't mind wearing it because it's good stuff yeah, so, you know. yeah absolutely I mean I would if I was sponsored by them in head yonder and one of the founders of Abacus Mountain Guides as well yes yeah yes. Um, yeah and all round legend yeah <laughs> uh, every time anybody mentions your name they're like oh, yeah, Mike okay. the, the big man right <laughs> Yeah, and you've, you're blushing. Uh, I am. I'm, you're I'm blushing quite, already. Well, you know, I just want to take people climbing. That's all yeah. I want to do. You know, I go climbing and just, you know, just that, and that's it. Yeah. So. so you are, you know, you are, you're a climber. You're a mountaineer. You're a nice climber. You've also done, you know, your fair share of kayaking and. Well, look, I dabbled with kayaking, decided it wasn't for me. It's not good. No. It's, it's, it's wrong, actually. It's say. wrong. It's just, you know, I was going as far as to say morally wrong, but I, I get laughed at. <laughs> so it's just, you know, it's scary. It's. No, I can't. I think it's my brain. My brain can't cope with kayaking because, you know, climbing, you're on something static and yeah, you're actually yeah. fairly static, you know. 
Um, so I can kind of do that skiing and biking, your dynamic on something that's fairly stationary. I'm right, yeah, yeah. But kayaking, it's the, the water's moving, you're yeah, moving, you can't everything stop is it. moving, you can't stop yeah. it. You, you can't just say, no, no, can, I, can I just pause there and have a look and then, right, I'm good to go now. Yeah. That doesn't happen as far as I know. So any any paddlers that are listening to this, we, we've just lost them. Yeah. They, they've switched <laughs> off. So we can see what we like about kayaking now. Um, are you doing a bit of paragliding as well? I've tried paragliding, yeah. yes. And, and Again, not for you. No, 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 no. Paragliding is good. I, I would like to do more paragliding, um, but you know, it's another expensive way to hurt yourself. <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, hurt, hurt is a is a good word for it. I don't think there's much hurting involved if you crash a paraglider. <laughs> it might be a short hurt. <laughs> yes, one not last long. Uh, but you know, there's just a limited amount of time. Yeah. Uh, so you know, and, and yes, I do lead quite a busy life. Three yeah. three children, beautiful wife, fantastic kids, all very dynamic, energetic, yeah. doing stuff. Yeah. And I want to do stuff with them. And if I go off paragliding, that's a, another you know, draw my time. Yeah, so, of course, it's, it's not going to happen. Of course. Yeah. So, so I was going to ask about you know how long you've been climbing for, but you're you're you know pretty well rounded all rounder. You know. So, uh, so I was going to. You know, the, the love that you've got for just being out there, like, where did that come from? So I think my family, you know, right. I, was, I was brought up in Somerset, okay. so not, not the climbing centre of the <laughs> okay, uh, but no, my dad uh, and my mum took me on, uh, on walks and walking holidays, Yeah. so I think it was through that, I was four when I first walked up a hill, which is Penavan in the Brecon Beacons, I can't remember. But, but they tell me <laughs> you remember the hill they, they, they yeah. tell me it was Pen of they tell me I walked all the way up and all the way down again and I would not be carried and wow. the next one was Pembrokeshire Pembrokeshire Coastal Path oh, right. it was like okay, two yeah. weeks walking all the way along the coastal path and yeah. I think that was a bit of a, a turning point my memory of it is that at the start of it it was sore the rucksack was uncomfortable and yeah. I was lagging behind and I, I think it was probably a bit how old were you at this point? I think nine nine I think yeah. nine but by the end of this this trip I remember being you know just much just into it I was running ahead of the group of, <coughs> of my family and I was going around the, the next headland to look at the next bay and I just something seemed to click and that's my memory of it I don't know yeah. if that's my mum and dad's <laughs> memory of it but that certainly seemed to be a bit of a moment where I kind of looked up and looked around about me and went you know actually that's quite cool yeah uh, and then all the way through my teenage years into walking and 10 tours events on Dartmoor uh, not much climbing until I was about 17 or 18 so when I went to university right Right. But I'd already decided before that, you know, when I was 17, I definitely had a, a moment when I changed direction massively. Now, I remember a video of you talking about, I think it was the Mansion Festival film of oh, you, oh, you're, that, you're yeah, yeah. receiving obviously this uh, um, youth award in yeah. Mountain Culture uh, when you said you had a bit of an epiphany. Yeah. So I had one as well. <laughs> I was, when, I, when I was 17, I was all set to do engineering. Cause, all right. Again, I was. I, my dad always said I made these paper aeroplanes that flew and I was good at <laughs> physics and maths and design and all that kind of stuff so it just seemed like my whole life's trajectory was going towards yeah. Um, yeah. aeronautical engineering and I'd filled in all the forms for the university courses yeah. and it was in the envelope and I was literally you know, about to drop it into the letterbox and I, and I pulled it out again I went, yeah. no, no because you know, designing aeroplanes is cool yeah. you know, it sounds very cool but well paid I still had this, I, I kind of thought, well, actually, I'm just going to be a small cog in a very big wheel mm. and um, in a very big machine. And, and most of the time, I'll be sat there in front of a desk, looking at a screen, designing little bits of aeroplanes. Yeah, yeah. And I thought about that, and I just thought, I, I, I can't do that. Yeah. I, I want to be outside. So I just changed direction completely. And without knowing exactly what I wanted to do, I think it was something like, I think I thought it was something like, you know, leading expeditions through the Borneo jungle or down the river somewhere, you know, I still thought kayaking was alright back then, but, um, you know, something quite vague, something outdoor expedition leader, yeah. something like that, just something, just something that, out there, something outside, yeah. other countries, that kind of, so it was quite vague, yeah. uh, and I found this um, sports science course at Birmingham University, Birmingham's not known for its climbing either, but it does have an outdoor centre up yeah. in the Lake District, so instead of doing choices of like athletics and football and whatever on my sports science course, I went off and did mountaineering and sailing and kayaking and windsurfing yeah. and all this stuff. And it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So I spent half my degree course up there. So I got a good degree and uh, I also got to work with Livy Peters. Ooh, wow. Mountain okay. guide. And I just thought, right, that's it. That yeah. is what I want to do. When I, when I worked with Livy, I just thought, right, it that's all crystallised. 
mountain guide. That's yeah. it. I'm gonna do. So you did sports science. I did. I studied oh, sports nice. science. Yeah. Nice. Ah, oh, so did I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did maths as well. It was joint honours because um, I, I hadn't studied biology at all. So right. Like, right. Let's just dial it down a little bit. Do do some <laughs> maths that I could do. You know, so that was it. Nice. Cool. Uh, and is that so? You worked with Libby. Is that where you started? Working in the outdoors because mm. I know you yes. started working for a, com- a trekking company. And yeah, so just Africa. before that, actually, for the university at that outdoor centre, they hired some of the students to deliver some of their summer program yeah. activities. Okay. So yeah, I was delivering rock climbing sessions and walking and mountain oh, right. cool. stuff, cool. and a little bits of sailing. You know, just all multi-activity stuff. Yeah. For the university at that outdoor centre, okay. so I got some paid work there. Um, and then left university and thought, right now, yeah, now what? I just know I want to travel. I still had this notion, you know, to a certain extent yeah. of um, you know going to foreign countries and climbing now, mm. you know, mountain climbing. So I wrote off to like twenty different trekking companies and mountaineering companies, like Jackie Globe and Exodus and all these kind of people. And one guy got back, <laughs> and that was uh, Andrew Vilakowski. Who's, um, who's a teacher down in a, a school in uh, Sussex. Yeah. But he also runs this very good small trekking company. And he wrote back saying, yeah, okay, let's, uh, let's check you out. Come yeah. climbing with me to Lundy, the Isle of Lundy in the, wow. the centre okay. estuary. Uh, he's got a school trip going. Let's uh, you know, just come with us on that and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll meet. And, and, yeah. you know, basically, he's checking me out and see what it's like, you know. And, and that went all right. Yeah. Not so, a total punter. So not a total punter. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, he gave me some pupils to take climbing, and I brought them back in one piece. So I brought all them back. Was, yeah, well, that's the sign of a good instructor. Yeah. Welcome home. It works. Yeah. You know, there you go. <laughs> so, um, so I went down and worked with him for a bit. I was doing a bit of admin and leading a few treks. So, you know, I got to go up Mount Kenya, guiding all the way to the top, batting, yeah. you know, great severe rock climbing at five thousand meters. You know, not qualified at all. <laughs> in Kenya, you know, it's it's all right. He, he checked yeah. me out. He, he showed, he gave me all the support that I needed. Is the thing. And you know, so Andrew was just amazing and, and yeah. really helped me out um, in uh, in giving me that work and giving me that opportunity yeah. to kind of get into yeah. that, that kind of line of work and to check it out. And I loved yeah. it. And so it wasn't just trekking you were doing it. No, no, not at all. That was proper guiding. That was proper guiding, oh, climbing yeah. to the summit. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you go from? Guiding in Africa to Russia. Well, so Andrew Vilikovsky yeah. ran trips to East Africa and Russia. Um, so he's whole opposites. Oh, Great. so can you imagine? No, I spent two <laughs> two months over Christmas and then into no, it's kind of January, February. That's what it was. January, February, two months in Nairobi, going off to Kilimanjaro and then to Uganda and Mount Kenya, so yeah. doing all that stuff, and then going back to Russia, to the Caucasus Mountains in late February, where it's minus 20. Yeah. And I learned to ski in the Caucasus Mountains <laughs> of the Baton Valley. Uh, and I, I, you know, I pitched up there, yeah. and they thought that I could ski already, and I, and I thought I was going to be taught to ski to a certain extent. So I had this, the woman that owned the hotel, who could speak a little bit of German, she was Russian, she could speak a little bit of German, I understood a little bit of German. Yeah. So she was trying to teach me, she's not a ski instructor, she's a hotelier. She was trying to teach me to ski in this slightly common language, German. <laughs> and that was my first taste of skiing. Uh, <laughs> so I just kind of went off and taught myself really yeah. badly how to yeah. ski. And badly. Up, but yeah, yeah. Badly. And hooked up with some guys from Minsk, the Minsk University climbing team. Okay, and yes, staying yeah. at the same hotel. So I kind of hooked up with them, I skied with them, and then they went climbing, and I thought, oh, right, can I go climbing with you? I'm bored of the skiing now. Can I, can I go climbing? And, and I said, I've tried something else, it's boring, <laughs> I it's better, let's go yeah, climbing. Let's go. Um, so we did a peak, and it was really good, and then we did another peak that was uh, quite intense. It was four days of climbing, three nights out. Yeah. And we didn't have much food, we didn't have much um, water to drink, and stoves were primer stuff. Their kit was, you know, yeah. hopeless, really. Now I had good kits, but then I didn't look after myself. I ended up getting frostbite in my toes. Yeah. My first reaction was, "Yes, I'm a proper mountaineer. <laughs> All the best mountaineers have had frostbite in their toes. Come on, I'm in there. I've done it. I've <laughs> arrived." Part of the elite club. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was. And then after five weeks, when well, my feet were still like balloons and turning black, I oh. thought, "No, that, that sucks actually." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's not good. That's the first time you ice climbed as well. Uh, Is it? Yes, yeah. pretty much. So that's right. your introduction to ice climbing. <laughs> yes. Uh, so in, in the valley. So yes, in in the valley, 
um, there were all these cascades yeah. in, in the valley, frozen waterfalls, and I had these ice axes and crampons. So I took myself off after a day of skiing. I just thought, I'm going to go and look at that, you know, uh, as you do. <laughs> so by myself, nobody knew where I was. So I just wandered up this, and it's brilliant. It's all little falls with a what would be a plunge pool underneath, but it was covered in snow, yeah, deep, yeah. soft snow. So I thought, well, I'm just going to climb up that, and if I fall off, I'll just land in the deep, soft snow. And it's, and it's cool, you know? And, and it was going really well. Yeah, it, it was. Quite a lot of people wouldn't consider that the end totally fine, <coughs> but sure. When you're, when you're young and bold, you know, yeah, it's, just, it's fine. It you're not going to fall off. Well, yeah, you say that. <laughs> so, of course, the biggest one of these, these little cascades was, was at the top of this thing. Yeah. Uh, it was a bit bigger, and I thought, no, I'm not going to climb that, it's too big. But I'll just go and have a look. And I got up and I thought, all right, yeah, there's these big kind of features in the ice that you can hook with your tools. I thought, all right, so it would work like that. And, yeah, yeah. and you know, before very, like, 30 seconds later, I'm, I'm a, a little bit too high to climb down. And I, I then realised that climbing down on ice axes is really hard. Yep. Because you can't place You can't place it down, place them down here, can you? <laughs> so I, I took a moment and I thought, hmm, okay, well, I'm going to have to go up, aren't I? And both feet popped out only once. I was there dangling by my axes at the top of this. Oh my god! <laughs> so you know, you, you you do these things and you survive, and, and you learn from them. Yeah. My footwork's a lot better now than it was. I bet it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, necessity is the mother of progression, isn't it? So yeah, that, that was my <laughs> second ever kind of proper ice climb. Yeah. yeah. That's right. The first one was when I was walking in the Cairngorms as a nineteen-year-old, eighteen-year-old maybe, um, with my pal and. With walking axes, I say, can I borrow your axe? I want to go look at that axe. It was the same thing. I just look at it. And of course, I went, dish, dish. Oh, yes, that feels good. Discovering a theme here. Yeah, there's yeah. a bit of a theme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did your parents say when you came back from a trekking trip from Russia with frostbite? So, it was hilarious because, you know, I, I came back a bit early. It was early March. It was kind of springtime. We were yeah. in Somerset. So, you know, they picked me up and took me to Bath. Royal United Infirmary, I think it's called. The, the yeah. hospital in Bath. Flowers outside, warm sunshine, bath in, in the spring, Somerset, you know. And I turned up and said, um, I've got frostbite, can you... Um... <laughs> and they, you could, you know, they looked at me, they looked at my mum and dad, and, and my dad said, yeah, yeah, he's got, he's got frostbite, yeah. <laughs> and they went, uh, well, okay. <laughs> it was a, late on a Friday night, I think, and I, I wasn't one of the drunks that had yeah. come in, you know. I was clearly not that kind of customer for them. I was... I was serious. Yeah. And, and then I was a little bit of a celebrity in the hospital because they don't often see... Yeah, I bet you were. Did they believe your story or did you think you were just an idiot sat their feet in the freezer? They, they took one look and went, yeah, that's proper. That's, that's, that's quite serious. Let's get that sorted out. Nice. But yeah, loads of people came in to just have a look. I bet you. Oh, can yeah. I just have a look at your toes? I've heard you've got... All recovered? It's all fine. I lost oh, the end of my second toe, which I've still got in the pot at home. Nice. I should have brought that to show you, you know. <laughs> Send me a photo of it, I'll put it as the tag photo for this podcast. <laughs> I'll do that. Yeah, do that. Well, my, my wife Louise loves the fact that I've got various body parts in the little jar. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you mean various body parts? What else have you got lying around? <laughs> um, so when, when I was a kid, I felt, well, it was not a body part, actually. I fell off my bike as about a six-year-old, uh-huh. seven-year-old, something like that. Uh, and I had a bit of glass in my arm. Uh, just like a centimetre yeah, long, a yeah. little bit of glass. It went into my arm, and I didn't really realise it healed over. <coughs> and it was in there for about a year and a half. And after a year and a half, it started trying to come out. My body went yeah. and that's a foreign object, and it started coming out. So it's a tiny, minor procedure just to get it taken out. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to keep that. I kept it for a year and a half. I'm going to keep that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so I think that's fine. My wife, Louise, who's... Gorgeous and brilliant, she doesn't really appreciate that. But then, you know, kids' teeth, you know, lots of parents yeah, keep their kids', kids teeth, teeth and, and hair and yeah. stuff like that. It's I think my mate's still got a lock of my hair. I used to have quite long hair. Mm. It's beyond my shoulders. And when I all got to cut off my mate, kept it in a little pouch. I think he's still got it. Yeah. I'm going to check that one out. There you go. Ah, uh, I just admitted that I had long hair. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to regret that later. <laughs> yeah. So, right, you came back from all this, but... You know, that didn't discourage you at all. No, 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 not at all. No, not no, at all. No, no. That, you kept pushing yourself after that. I've, I've yeah. never had a moment where I've been discouraged. Yeah. Or, or you know, despite all my barriers. Yeah. And is it after that point you moved up up here? Or? Yeah. 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 I, I, I worked for this trekking company doing the admin and it didn't really work out. So I wasn't getting enough uh, climbing. Yeah. And um, 
you know, I was forced to go and climb the chalk that down oh, the God. Coast, which is oh my God. tells you how desperate I was to go and climb some hardship. And um, looking ahead to getting onto the mountain guide scheme, mm. all the pre-requirements for that, you know, it's, it's huge pre-requirements, and yeah. I just wasn't getting any of it living down there. So I thought, right, I'm just going to have to go to Scotland. So that was it. And I borrowed, borrowed Andrew's car, his, his little van, and drove up here. I got a place to stay the, the day after. The day after that, I got a job at Nevis Range. Yeah. And then I had about five years of seasonal work at Nevis Range. Uh, on the campsite in Glen Nevis, cutting the grass, picking up the stones. <laughs> and um, and in between all that, doing other treks and yeah. you know, leading treks and Grand Canyon and, yeah, just and stuff. Just get experience. And just climbing. There, just climbing. Like a seven week climbing trip to the Alps a couple of times in the winter. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, like, obviously, I did a bit of research for this. Uh, and, you know, looking at stuff you've done to build up to getting your, your guide ticket. Uh, you've done quite a lot, but one of them that kept coming up and you kept speaking very highly of was your uh, Le Duat. Yeah, all Le Duat. Yeah, that was good. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was really but nice. out of everything I read, there was no explanation of why it was so good. Well, well it's just a good climb that went really well. <laughs> cool. You know, uh, you, well, there's a short story for you. Well, it is, but no, I mean, <laughs> so many climbing stories are epics that went wrong, yeah. somebody broke a leg, and this and that, and, that, and, that. and yeah. actually, no, that was one time where it was just everything went really yeah. well. You know? So, uh, for, for those that are listening that don't know where this is, where is Le Duat? So, Le Duat is, uh, there, well, there is a bit of a backstory. Le, Le, Le Duat is one of the peaks in the Chamonix range, in the Mont Blanc range, yeah. just above Chamonix. Uh, it's above the Argentier Glacier. Now, on my first trip as a student to the Alps, I went to uh, to Bivy, just outside the Argentier hut, mm-hmm. and I was looking across the glacier, looking at the guidebook at this massive face. I mean, it's just immense. It goes huge, from, isn't it? Like, um, all the way, all the way around the corner, and there's just ice lines and ridges and spurs. It's just phenomenal. And I was looking at the guidebook and looking at the face, thinking, I, I don't know that I'll ever get up there. I just can't see how me, you know, how I could do that. It's not. I just, you know, I couldn't get my head around it. Yeah. So going back a few years later. And climbing they do out North Face by myself. So it was nice. Yeah. It was really I'm nice. Ready. So yeah. uh, so all went well. I had tried with uh, a pal, Dr. Mike, and uh, we bivied under the face and it was bitterly cold. Mm. And we just both woke up saying, uh, we're not gonna climb are we? Because we're just far too cold. And he went off and then I was by myself and I thought, it's just, you know, soloing is just because you, you can't organise a climbing buddy. It's, <laughs> it's lack of organisation. It's not planned, really. It's, it's, it's like the loader's activity. Yeah. It's yeah. just, I want to go and do that. I forgot. Oh, nobody, right? Okay, I'll try and do it myself. And and it wasn't just me. The activity for the rejects. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put you in a club with, like, Alex Honnold, you know. Yeah. That's all right. That, uh, I'm not going to put myself in that club, but... <laughs> yeah, so I saw it like and it was just, it was yeah. just absolutely great. Yeah. I mean, I've seen loads of photos of it. I haven't actually been up and looked at it myself, and it just looks incredible, doesn't it? Yeah. It is, but, you know, these big faces, they're, they're not that hard. There's two, two and a half pictures of about grade four Scottish yeah. winter stuff, if you like. There's some big faces, there's some lots of grade three stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, basically it's all, it's all right. Yeah. The scariest bit, well, why I stopped doing it in the Alps, was um, walking over glaciers by itself. That's not recommended. No. Really not good. And I remember, we, I had sailed down the south side, the sun was triggering these kind of wet sloughs, which was getting quite heavy, and I was a bit spooked, and I just wanted to get down. So, after the bottom, so I carried two 50 metre ropes all the way up, so I could abseil down. Yep. And snowshoes. That's about the weight. Yeah, it was. Yeah. But you know, when you're in your early 20s, it's, it's, yeah, it's fine. just what you do, yeah. you know, it's all right. Yeah. You haven't learned that mistake yet. <laughs> so, so after the bottom abseil, I just tied myself into the one rope that I was going to pull at the bottom abseil, and then I just walked. Yeah. And I thought, well, trailing 100 metres of rope with a knot in the middle, it's going to give me some protection, right? When yeah. I, when I, if I was to fall into a crevasse, it's going to do something, isn't it? <laughs> I thought that. <laughs> It's a good theory. <laughs> it's a good it. theory. It's what I thought, and I went with it, and it gave me just what I needed just to, yeah. to get down. Yeah. I missed the last train down from Montebert. I wasn't fast enough, so I had to walk all the way down to Chamonix. I was got to the end. Well, it's a rite of passage. It's a rite of passage. It's a rite of passage. You've got to do it. I love it. And thanks yeah. for reminding me, because you know, that was a long time ago. Uh, I don't often think about that kind of stuff, but yeah, that's, yeah. that was it. Yeah. So, I mean, th- I mean, that's the one that kept coming up, but it, was, there, was there any other ones that... Was there any big learning curve trips that you had? And while you were doing all this practice up to getting your, your guiding tickets, is there one trip that kind of stood out as a, ooh, that was a life lesson? 
No, they, they all, they're all pieces in the jigsaw, aren't they? Yeah. There weren't any that kind of really stood out like that, but the look that every single, every single time you go climbing, you learn something, even yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, oh, every day is a school day. Absolutely. absolutely, it really is. And it's, and it's a cliche, and you say that, but you know, it absolutely is. Oh, absolutely. You're always learning, and um, you know, everyone is, is, all of those experiences add up to, to what you are, the, yeah. the climate that you are. Yeah, no, absolutely, I 100% agree with that. Um, so there was no major epics. Well, <laughs> yes, there was some, you know, that you could call it epic, yeah. but, you know, equally to say, you know, stuff happened and we got down and we were yeah. okay. Yeah, still so, here, still, but, still here, still walking. But yeah, in, in Russia, in the Caucasus, I went back to Russia to uh, the Caucasus nice. with a, um, a guy in the Alpine Club called John Temple, who's no longer with us, unfortunately. Um, he's a lot older than me. When I was there with him in the Alps, I was 23, he was 63. Yeah. And we matched really well, actually. We were very well matched. Um, I carried a bit more stuff than him, but then I ate more food than him. So, yeah, <laughs> it was kind of all right. And but he, had, he had all this experience, and he said, right, we're going to go and do that. And so, yeah, okay, <laughs> let's do that. And, and we did, and it worked out some of the time. The Caucasus, you get bad weather in the Caucasus. Yeah, yeah. And we got storms. And it comes in quick when it turns yeah, as well. Yeah, and, back then, and the resources back then weren't very aggressive. Weather forecasts, you know, we yeah. just didn't really have access to much of the way weather forecasts. Yeah. So. Uh, we, we did, it was, it was the, the trip of the retreats. Mm. We were retreated off a lot of stuff and got quite good at retreating off stuff. Yeah. Down as big faces, you know, like ice faces at like 55 degrees, 60 degrees. Um, and we had this technique where with just five ice screws, we would kind of move together downhill, basically. We would yeah. climb down because we didn't know about our balakots. Yeah. You know, V-threads. <laughs> they weren't a thing, you know. They really. hadn't been invented. But they hadn't been invented. Yeah. You know, Mr. Abalakov in Russia or whoever was <laughs> digging holes and trying to work it out. We didn't know anything about it. So, um, one of us would go down 25 metres, put in an ice screw, go down the next 25 yeah. metres, put in another ice screw, at which point I would take out the ice screws on the yeah. b and they would move together downhill. Kind of like hill. simul climbing. Simul climbing downhill. Yeah. But just imagine being 25 metres above your next ice cream. Yeah. Detaching yourself <laughs> after having stood there a few minutes and, and then starting off down. Oh my this that's scariest thing. That's awful. Once you're moving you're kind of in the mood in the groove and it's kind yeah, of yeah. not too bad. But you know it, it works. And that's well. steep stuff to be climbing down as well. And it's hard ice, it's yeah. that alpine kind of north face ice. Yeah. You know, so you have to really put an effort in. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, it worked and yeah, we good. had to do that a few times. Good. Uh, well, and, like another thing that I came across, uh, and I've already said to you about this, where on your Yachtner pages, the video where you're describing your incident with a rather large amount of snow that hit you. Uh, well, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah I got avalanche. Yes. Yeah, I've been avalanche twice actually. Oh, have you? Um, All right. I was buried once in Peru, and uh, Nick Carter and Owen Samuel were we, we roped together on a glacier, right, yeah. and and it was yeah, sharp and take a breath, proper, yeah. proper series. Um, Nick was uh, thankfully in this relatively small avalanche, but you know it was just heavy wet snow. Just, yeah, yeah. Nick was clear and followed the rope around. Found Owen who was just under the snow, got him out fairly quickly, and then came around to me. They were digging for ten minutes before they got to meet Oof, under the snow. Geez. At which point they thought well, he's not really breathing very well, but you know dug me out, got me out, and I came back to, and it was all right. Yeah, yeah, because that's a long time to be under there. Yeah, there's really weird thing like a reset switch being pressed it's like rebooting your computer it goes yeah. through all the checks you know so I was I kind of I stood up and I came to him and went oh right you're you're Nick oh you're right oh right okay okay yeah we're in Peru <laughs> we're, we're climbing in Peru yeah that's right we were and it all just slowly over like a minute or two minutes it all pieced back together again yeah. and then I was alright and I walked out up, wow. shaken up I must admit I but, yeah. as were on a Nick, you know, but um, we walked down, we didn't carry on, we walked down and uh, reflected on it and thought, well, that was, that was rubbish, let's learn from that. Yeah, um, yeah but no no physical, no anything, wow. no problems, just um, It's amazing how you, like, your body comes back in that way. That was weird, definitely, yeah. a, a, it's a brain thing, I think that was a brain function after being closed down, <laughs> shut down, Yeah. either through fear or lack of oxygen or whatever I don't know what it was but it definitely closed down yeah and it was starting up again yeah thank oh. you 
So it's odd, not recommended, but... No, I wouldn't recommend it. interesting. As a, weird, as a way of learning how your own brain works, I wouldn't recommend that. No. <laughs> don't do that for the crack. Let's no. see what happens. No, don't. <laughs> right, uh, but yeah, the, the other avalanche was on, uh, was much closer to home, was on Anachmore here, at the back of Nevis Rangers. Right, yeah. And I was at my most dangerous time, I guess. You know, young male drivers, when they pass the driving test, yeah. it's that first year is when they're most dangerous. Because I think they're also they fill the testosterone as well. So, so young male mountain guides, yeah. you know, once once they've got the badge, that's probably about the most dangerous time because you know, suddenly you're let loose, and you're not the most experienced guy by any means. Of course, you're not by yeah. definition. You've only just got your badge, but you know you're let loose and off you go, and, and you are this there. But you know, I just fell into all these what we know now as heuristic traps, these human factors that lead you into doing stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yes, yeah, so I was uh, climbing up this thing that I didn't really intend to climb up. And a week, I think a wee corner fell off, triggered a, a small slab that right. was big so enough. Wasn't it, it wasn't you that caused it? Uh, it no, it was a natural, natural release above. Yeah, a natural release above. And I'd, I'd made the decision that would be, I knew would be threatened by that, but I thought would be quick enough to get out and off to the side. And it worked. Yeah. And it was a bad decision. Uh, and um, yeah, so I got knocked back down this first pitch that I climbed back 30 metres. Yeah. Landed in a broken heap, like broken three vertebrae on my pelvis, ankles, Jesus. Ribs, that kind of stuff. Vertebrae? Mm. L2 and L3, lumbar, lumbar vertebrae, L2 and L3, yeah. and then T12. So all right down the bottom of the spine. Yeah, yeah. Um, my clients, the, the couple that I was climbing with, who I'd met that morning, um, they were brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant. They, they kind of stabilised the whole thing, chopped out all the legs in the snow, got yeah. it sorted, secure, pulled the rope down, phoned the rescue. They knew exactly where we were, they got through, they, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I was unconscious for about 10 minutes, I think, something yeah. like that. And uh, so by the time I came to, I went, oh yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a bit stingy. Yeah. Um, they've, they've done everything that needed to be done. Ideal clients in that situation. Oh, amazing. You know, absolutely amazing. They were so good, so good. And, and they even came to see me in the hospital afterwards. Yeah. Just don't uh, get in touch with them? So, no, not anymore. But no, I did hear back, you know, a couple of times after, yeah. you know, from them. Because I was so worried that they, this is clearly a very negative experience for them, and I just yeah, yeah. I felt bad that maybe they'd been put off climbing by this experience. You yeah. Know? Uh, but you know, and I think they were quite keen to reassure me that actually, you know, they, they had carried on and done other climbs, and mm. then they, they were okay, which is a relief to me. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, that's that's really good. Uh, obviously, not the incident's really good. Yeah. It was yeah. Uh, it was McTie. So McTie came part of my rescue. Yeah. Can we get you? It was <laughs> and, and it was it was epic. The the rescue was epic. Yeah. Because. Uh, the weather blew up really bad and all sorts of things, but uh, and I don't know, you know, everything that clearly I was when they came to find me, they, they gave me some morphine fairly quickly, so you know, it all kind of you know, memory is lost. But um, what did happen was uh, so Mick was close by, and Tony Cardwell and Willie Anderson right. worked at the ski area, so those three turned up on scene very quickly, you know. And Mick and Tony came down easy gully, Willie went back to get some more kit. But in walking back along the top of the cliffs, he got blown off the top of the cliffs. Oh, jeez. And fell 100 metres. He fell the height of the cliff and landed, extremely luckily, landed at the feet of um, Mick and Tony that had just gone down. Yeah. Year. You know, just they were walking down looking for me and then, <laughs> oh, there's Willie, just falling all the way down the cliff, you know. Jeez. And that was so lucky because, you know, if they hadn't seen him, I, I just wonder... If, if he wouldn't have been missed. Because he was know? on his own. He was on his own. Yeah. So people at the top would have thought, well, he must be at the bottom. Yeah. And people at the bottom would have thought, well, why is he going to get that stuff? stuff? Kit. Did anybody at the base know that he was going back for Kit? Or? So, well, I, you know, that's the, I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But yeah. so lucky that, that um, was, he was, he was, was found he right away. No, he no broke no um, neck vertebra. Jeez. And wound, like bleeding wounds. Yeah, yeah. You know, he'd been knocked around quite a lot. So... Quite rightly, the team got him out first. <coughs> yeah. So, um, and that was hard enough. So it was kind of six hours, five or six hours before they got to me. And um, by then the weather was just horrible. You know, yeah. just, it was a really tough rescue for the team. Yeah. yeah. I, I just lay there going, come on, hurry up. To be fair, there's not much you could have done at that oh, point. No, <laughs> and there's a the thing about back injuries that you get very defensive and pelvis, you know, big wounds like that. Yeah. You just, you know, if somebody comes to a movie, you say, get off me, don't, yeah. don't touch don't, me. Don't even. You, you yeah. can't write, you just know something's wrong and yeah. you shouldn't be, my man. But they, they did a brilliant job. And, yeah. and you know, as far as I know, 
they did fantastic. Like all the rescue team just were amazing. Got yeah. me out of there. And Mick in particular, Mick was on the on the stretcher. So I was put on the stretcher and dragged up the cliff. Yeah, it was the easiest way to get me out. So they, then I could get onto a groom and driven down that side, you know, the ski side, the ski area side. Uh, so I had to be dragged up the cliff, and Mick was the barrel boy. So he strapped himself to the stretcher. Yeah to guide it up through all the rocks and stuff like that and he was having to aid up he got hooked up at one point so he had to aid up the side of the stretcher to get to one point and you know Jeez, it's just incredible, absolutely incredible yeah. and, you know I owe my career and my life to him yeah phenomenal wow, wow. Um, any lasting injuries any so from that um, yeah. well I was in I was in hospital for five or six weeks and uh, oh that was awful what was the recovery like uh, long term recovery fight, yeah, all good. Yeah. Um, now they they fused my lumbar spine. Oh really? Like they put rods into to secure it. Yeah. Um, and that when you walk, there's a lot of kind of rotational movement. Yeah. Why am I doing this? You can't see it. In the, in the recording. <laughs> He's doing a little dance in his chair, ladies and gentlemen. It's like goodness, I think I see. Pulling some moves while I'm talking <laughs> about this. There's, there's a lot of rotation in your spine, your lumbar spine, when you walk. But that couldn't happen with these pins these yeah. in place. So that was being transferred through to my knees. Okay. So I was getting really sore knees. They're wearing out super quick. So I went back to the surgeon and said, look, can you take these things out? He said, well, yes, but it's not going to make any difference. You've used now the bones and did it. Yeah. I said, yeah, but can you please? So he did. He took them out. And I have regained. It, it, it did improve. It got much better. I think I did regain some range of movement. Yeah. movement. I wish I'd done yoga. I've just started doing yoga and it's yeah. brilliant. And I wish I'd done that back then. And like everybody that I've heard of getting into yoga now has said the same thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it wish does I'd done it 10 years ago, yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah, for sure. Uh, has it, whether positively, positively or negatively, has it affected how you go out at all? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, you know, you're lying there in hospital thinking, well, that, my initial reaction was that was just me being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. If I did that another 10 times, another 100 times, that wouldn't have happened, you would have been fine. But that just means if you go out and you leave it to chance whether you come back or not, yeah. that's just not good enough. Because at some, some point, point you're going to find the At edge. some point, it's going to work in the wrong direction for you. So that, that's not good enough. So initially, my reaction wasn't very good. I sat there and analysed it. Well, you know, I, I was lying in the hospital, so I had a lot of time to think about it. And analysed it and worked it out and eventually kind of thought no, there's got to be a, a better way to do things you know and it's, it was at the time when things like you know, these human factors heuristic traps were starting to be talked about and I thought yeah that, that was it yeah. so no I, I, I now use it as a, as a learning example I'm very happy to talk about it yeah. and, it's, and it's I think it's no, I think a good to thing to talk about for sure. because it's a good learning opportunity for other people yeah. you know um, if they can learn from me breaking myself so that they don't have to yeah absolutely that's a very good yeah. thing yeah. No, I've, I've, I've always been the same because like, I've luckily very luckily not anything serious but I've always had a little like cock ups and, yeah. and hurt myself or whatever and uh, it's a learn from my mistakes because well I make enough of them yeah you know? so yeah like talking about these things is great you know, the, the lessons that you've learned from that have helped you in the future but it can absolutely. help everybody else absolutely yes. um, yeah. so no it's a really good thing to to, to talk about oh, well, one of the biggest things that I learned actually was that as a guide I'm not it's not my job to deliver exactly what my client clients want it's my job to make good decisions yeah. on their behalf because yeah. they're not equipped with the experience to make those decisions that's, yeah. that's why they've hired me yeah. and if that decision is no we're not going to do that today that's me doing my job yeah that's absolutely, absolutely right and, and back then that wasn't at the forefront of my mind yeah you know back yeah. then I was looking at the the, the glee this, this guy's look on his face just he's looking at the ice going he, did, he had I want to climb that face on you know? yeah, yeah. and I reacted to that that was yeah. part one of the human factors that I went right okay let's do that yeah. that was the last one in the, in the whole series that I, you know so yeah. I've learned I think a, a lot of instructors have followed down that same thing you know yeah. client says I want this you go cool I am qualified I'm going to make that happen um, yeah. but it's when to say that's not the right thing to do yeah. you know when to stop Never be too proud to say no. Completely. Yeah. No, good. Yep. Uh, right, let's move on to something slightly more lighthearted. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Abacus. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you're one of the co-founders? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it was Donald King and yeah. I were working at Outer Bound. Right. And we were looking at leaving. Um, then they gave out two-year contracts, so I, was, I worked out my contract. Yeah. And thought, well, what, what next? I was 
I've just got my MIA, I think there's a left out of bound winter ML, so I had enough tickets to, to set things up. Yeah. And Donald was uh, leaving out of bound at about the same time. So, you know, I, I was thinking about, um, well, it wasn't any kind of big idea to set up a business, really, yeah. to be honest. It was just wanting to work as an outdoor instructor. Yeah, just sort of be freelancers. Freelancers, yeah, do your own thing. But with the, with the understanding that, you know, once you do that for a few years, then people start coming back to you. So I said, well, let's make that a little bit easier. Let's have a, let's have a business name or something. Let's just you know, have, let's have something like that. And I'll do lots of freelancing and slowly I'll kind of maybe get my own customers, you know? Mm. So that, that's what it was. And, and that's what it still is, you yeah. know? It's not, yeah. it's not a big business. It's not, it's not floated on the stock market yet. <laughs> <laughs> yet. yet. <laughs> yet. Yeah. But you guys have got big enough now that you're, you know, you're not just the ones that are being employed by other people. You're employing others now. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Donald, Donald is in demand massively, and he yeah. gets booked up, you know, well in advance. He he goes off to Norway and, and does lots of other stuff. Yeah. And I wish I could work with him more. So much fun working with Donald. It's just great. Uh, but yeah, for me here, I'm I'm busy all the time. I, I don't uh, work for other people. Just you know, we're, we're crazy busy. Apart from in the autumn, you know, the autumn is always quite quiet for for climbing. Yeah. It's not winter. It's not summer. It's like it's just a bit in between. It's a bit. So I do some work for the college here. Okay. Uh, West Highland College. Oh, the UHI. Part of yeah. UHI, that's right. Working with students on their adventure tourism or adventure degree yeah. courses, which are brilliant. They're brilliant courses. Oh, yeah. so Yeah. I know a lot of people have gone through that. Adventure Performance and Coaching is the course that I was looking for. Right. When I, when I found that sports science course, yeah. that is the one that I wanted to do in the location that I wanted to be in. It mm. just didn't exist. And here it is. <laughs> Whenever it was, you know, yeah. and now it's there. You know, and there's people doing it, and I'm, I'm quite jealous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's brilliant. That's never too bad. Too late. You can go back as a senior student. I've, I've thought of doing an MSc or something like that. You know, yeah. and I, yeah. I, might well do. I like studying. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a bit of an academic. I do yeah. like studying, learning new stuff. Good. So, uh, so what, what does Abacus do? What's the main sort of mission? So, um, to take people climbing. Yeah. World class mental adventures. Yeah. So, because um, it's not just in Scotland you do it. Like you said, Donald gets yeah booked to go away. Yeah, internationally. I, 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 it's, it's predominantly west coast of Scotland, um, but I go off to the Alps a little bit. Yeah. You know, with, with three young kids, I, I've not done as much of that over the last well decade, really. Yeah. Uh, they're all now getting a bit older, a bit more independent, mm-hmm. and um, easier to look after. So I'm maybe now going to do a little bit more on the Alps. Yeah. Uh, we're looking at that as, a, as an option. Um, but yeah, but basically here, you know, doing lots of wintry stuff, because yeah. I love winter. <laughs> and uh, then stuff in sky and rock climbing, and all the scrambles, and, and some qualification courses, and um, rare trips to England and Wales, yeah. and, and a few trips to the Alps in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, Donald's been going off to uh, Norway for quite a few years now, and I'm looking at yeah joining him, yeah. tapping into his knowledge, basically, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, doing some trips to that kind of place. Nice, nice. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's stretch your legs a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Um, it, it's important actually. I think it's important <coughs> to go to places that are new to you, and not, and not just do the same routes again yeah. and again and again and again. You know. Yeah. Uh, which, which I do a lot you know, don't get me wrong I do I you know, went up Town Ridge again today and, and it was brilliant and it was so different actually yeah. to how it's been I've never had it like it was today um, but it's I, I try and find a few routes that I've not done before each winter you yeah. know, just a small yeah. thing just on-site guiding yeah. is, is really <laughs> it keeps you sharp makes you you know keeps you thinking about stuff and certainly in the Alps I've been exploring loads of different places mm. so it's good yeah. to do that I think that's a <coughs> It's a trap that a lot of instructors end up going down and end up mm. doing the same stuff mm. again and again, um, and it gets a bit boring. I know it, literally every climbing instructor that's ever worked on a climbing wall after two years go, I hate birthday parties. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do birthday parties anymore. Yeah. Uh, just because it's the same stuff. So, if, yeah. you know, it's the same if you're an outdoor instructor. If, you, yeah. like, if you're an MCI doing the same routes over and over and over again, you're eventually going to get bored of it. So the way to make it interesting yeah. is to learn more stuff about where you are and history and tradition yeah, and all yeah. that kind of stuff and build that into your day. Yeah. So, you know, I still walk up and down the mountain track on Ben Nevis with, you know, one-time walkers. Yeah. And I love it because, you, know, you know, I'm an international mountain guide, don't you know, and I, and I walk <laughs> up Ben Nevis, you know, like a summer mountain leader because I am a summer mountain leader and actually I love the job because it's really good because I get to witter on about Ben yeah, Nevis yeah. And, and the plants and the rocks and the, the history and all that kind of stuff and just 
tell people about it because because I am passionate about this. I think this is good. You know, under any level, walking up a mountain is good. It's yeah. fundamentally good. And if I can be enthusiastic and enthuse other people to do more of that stuff, job done. Brilliant. Perfect. So now that that's like if you were gonna make the perfect instructor that's one you'd want is just one that adds so much more to the day for what you've asked you know, you've asked a client to ask oh can I go to the top of Ben Nevis yeah. but you've added all this other stuff into the day yeah. now that's the job isn't it? it it is the job but you know not everyone does that but it's what helps me as well you yeah. know, that, that was the, the point wasn't it yeah. yeah you can make it interesting for the leader for the coach the instructor yeah. whatever by doing this extra stuff and, and each time it's different stuff that I yeah. talk about so. and like if you do stuff like that with clients you get more out of them as well and you enjoy the day and, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so working with the, the, well sort of working with sorry running Abacus um, is there any like hi- absolute highlight days is there something that stood out always everyone you know I, I, we, we took a guy on his 50th birthday up Orion Direct on the most oh. amazing day and I remember wow. just being sat at the top going yeah that that's it nice that was so cool yeah um we took a guy along the Cooling Ridge 50 years after he first did it. Wow. And we had, it wasn't perfect weather. There was a bit of a question mark, but we did it. And we yeah. did it in good style. And it was, you know, but there's, there's just countless numbers of these things. It's yeah. just brilliant. You know? Yeah. And this is why people like you get into this, in this kind of work. It is. It's for moments like that. Completely. Yeah. You, what, yes, it is now. It, initially, I must admit, in my 20s, it was more about me. Mm. And me going to do these routes and go to new places, I must have yeah. but, but much more now, it's about the experience of my clients, my customers, the people I'm climbing yeah. with. Yeah. It's, yeah, I get much more satisfaction knowing that they've had a good day. Yeah. Rather than me, you know, what, what I get directly from well, When you're young, you know, like if you become a, a guide or whatever, it's your ticket to go and experience all this stuff. Yeah. And once you've experienced all this, all you want to do is share that experience yeah. with someone else. Yeah. Someone else. It's yeah. the progression, isn't it? It, it is, yeah. and it's a natural thing, and I, I reflect that yeah. very much. Yeah. Excellent. Um, but one of your big passions now is deer management. Well, yeah, so this is this is interesting. Yeah, because so, this takes it well away from climbing. I know, away from, away well, from I spent so much time in the Scottish Highlands, in the mountains of Scotland. Yeah. And, and I've got to know them quite well, I guess, and, and what grows there. And, and so I, I guess it kind of starts with my... These hills give me my employment, you know, yeah. they, they, it's a resource that I utilise. Uh, so I wanted to know more about them and I wanted to put something back into them. So I kind of tried to um, do some work with uh, Nevis Landscape Partnership, Nevis yeah. Partnership as it was back then. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, right, this would be a good body for me to put some of my time into, you know. Uh, so I became a director of Nevis Partnership. Just you know, the voluntary directors thought, right, this is the way that I can put something back into the system. And it's kind of grown a little bit from there because mm. um, they. Uh, uh, I'm now the chair of Nevis Landscape Partnership. Yeah. You know, and we're looking at you know what. Oh, to are do. you? I didn't yeah, know that. I'm the chair, so I'm the boss. Yeah. yeah. You're the boss. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the boss. Right, so it's you to blame. There you I'm, go. I'm chairing. Direct all complaints. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm chairing this board of phenomenal people and a very broad range of people representing all sorts of different backgrounds mm. and bodies. Uh, of user groups and landowners and, and all sorts of people, including Manchester Scotland. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> it's just such a strong board because of its diversity. <clears throat> so we're looking ahead about what to do next. You know, we've had. You want know, to cut this out? <coughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> sorry, Mike's just dying here. I'm just. I've got leprosy or something. It's it's all right. Coronavirus. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> so, uh, um, so we had this five-year project or set of 19 projects yeah. uh, through the Nevis Landscape Partnership, Heritage Lottery funded Landscape Partnership thing. It's like £4 million pounds that we spent on Ben Nevis and Glen Nevis. And yeah. it's brilliant. And it's revolutionised experience of Ben Nevis and Glen Nevis, you know, all the way from our understanding of the archaeology yeah. uh, to the path work and the number of butterflies we've got. You know, just very broad. It's, am- it's amazing work that you guys have Absolutely stunning. And, um, and we came to the end of that and the funding that went with that and we've now got, not got any money <clears throat> or well, we didn't have a strategy yeah. you know, at the end of that the, that 
landscape partnership work was the strategy for those five years. Towards the end of that, we went, oh, all right, okay, what next? What next? Yeah, what are you going to do? So, you know, inspired by some other landowners, I thought, right, we need a, a really long-term strategy. Land management is long-term, mm. long-time scales we're talking about. So I thought, right, we need a 100-year vision. So I got the board to think about this 100-year vision. We've got that, and it's all about connecting people with nature and yeah. people being involved in, in the looking after of this resource, this natural landscape, and making it a bit more natural, if you like, or wilder than yeah. it is just now, maybe. Uh, but still keeping on, keeping hold of the um, the heritage of farming in the Glens and what's done just yeah. now. So, so we've got that in place. Um, but then it, you kind of, you, once you start immersing yourself in these ideas and these worlds and you work with with John Muir Trust and, um, and all sorts of different bodies, you know, you kind of start thinking, well, is it as good as it should, as it might be? Yeah. You know, is this how it should be? Could it be better? And, and we've now got big problems with global climate change, you know, the, the climate is changing. We need to suck up as much carbon dioxide as we can, you know, and the landscape, the highlands of Scotland are not doing that as well as they could do. Yeah. So just on that, for that reason, if we reduce the number of deer, we'll get more tree cover, more vegetation, we'll get better biodiversity, not just vegetation, yeah. but biodiversity right across the board. So um, we'll get more bees and butterflies and little crawly things, you know, invertebrates, <laughs> as well as small mammals and slightly bigger mammals and all yeah. sorts of things. And everything does so much better if we can just keep the number of deer down. Um, so I'm quite keen on doing that. Yeah. And actually, as, as it happens, there's been a couple of um, government report studies on this and John Muir Trust has, has done their own and, and you know they're all they're all kind of in, in alignment saying yeah there's big advantages in terms of global climate change let alone anything else yeah uh, to do with reducing the, the density of deer on the land yeah so you know what got me interested in all this mostly was doing some mountain summer mountain leader courses with people that know all this kind of stuff <laughs> and then you know I've learned so much when I'm delivering training courses I, I learn back the way so yeah. much yeah and that you know, just got me interested in. and I think there's uh, some work to do. Yeah, well, absolutely. absolutely. And it's, but it's not so, easy. You know, the, the stalking culture, the way these, the, the lands, the, these mostly private states, steer stalking states have been managed, uh, it's been done for a long time. Yeah. There are generations of stalkers that have been doing things as they've been done for a long time. So for a similar kind of period as we've been climbing. Hmm. So, you know, if you came to me and said, Mike, you're gonna have to change your, the way that you go climbing. I'm, I'm not going to take that very <laughs> You well. are now going to have to become a free soloist. A free soloist. Every trip you do. Or bolt everything. Naked. Or bolt everything. There you go. <laughs> you know? It's just something like that is, if you change the, if you're asking people to change culture, that's a big deal. And, and I know that and I, I fully understand that. But I think there's something to be learned from uh, some Scandinavian countries where, oh, this, this is weird for me to say, but I think there's a future in hunting. It's weird for me to yeah. say that. I'm not into shooting stuff, shooting animals. I've always been really kind of upset about that, not into that at all. Mm. But in, uh, in places like Sweden and Norway, there are, there are um, hunting clubs and there are groups of people that buy the shooting rights for certain areas. And the government regulates it very well. Clearly, no, we're not talking about arming people in, in, yeah, in, the, in the town here, right? There's, there's gun <laughs> laws and there are certificates that you need in deer yeah, management yeah. as well as holding firearms and all that kind of stuff. So it's all very well managed and very carefully done. Uh, but I think there's maybe an advantage that we see in these countries of people in the community having something directly to do with managing the land. Yeah. That connection, once that connection is made between nature and the people living here, Sunny things seem to work a little bit better. Yeah. People feel connected with the landscape and responsible for it and part of it and immersed in it. Yeah. And all of those things are so valuable. And part of the problem, again, with global climate change, if you live in a city not connected to, the, to, to nature at all, yeah. it's external, it doesn't affect you, it's different. We can adapt, we can do something else, you know, it doesn't, doesn't affect you, yeah. you can't see it. That problem is someone else's Somebody job. else's problem, yeah. So, whatever, I'm yeah. just going to carry on doing what I'm doing. Well, if you see the difference and you're completely connected with nature, and this is one way just to connect with nature, then I think there's real advantages to doing that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so that's my <coughs> fairly random thoughts at the moment. <laughs> not, you know, nothing's going to come down and I'm right, this is what we need to do. And I'm not on a campaign, I'm just thinking there's a, there's a direction of travel here that yeah, I think yeah. we should move in. 
So the the hundred year plan that you guys have got is it finalised? Is it out there? So the, the hundred year strat, um, uh, vision yeah. is there. Yes, Nevis Landscape Partnership has a strategy that covers the next twenty years. Now yeah. that's much more right. We need to do a bit more of this. We need less of that. We're going to go do this. Yeah. Um, and then, but headlining that is our one hundred year vision. Because soon enough, that 20 years will go. Yeah, real quick. And, right. and then we're going to be like, right, okay, are we still going in this we're direction? Still... But we're going to have that vision yeah. of 100 years' time. So the strategy after this one will be like still in the same trajectory. So is that available to the public? To have a look yes. At yes, it's on the Nevis Partnership website. Yeah. Um, or you can contact the office. Go just go and have a look online. Uh, it's all there. And we would like feedback. Please give us feedback. Yeah. Soon. Because yeah, like, if, if there's anyone out there that... that one wants to know what's going on to, to mm. manage the land and, and make it more accessible and more wild and more authentic for you guys going out there. But if there's anyone who wants to help out in any way, Absolutely. give feedback, then yeah, check it out. It's crucial. That's exactly what we want. We want yeah. people to engage. No, that's good. We want to move away from the, the kind of Instagram <coughs> feel of tourism. You know, yeah. God, but Glenn Nevis, take an Instagram and off you go again. Yeah. We want to reverse that and provide... Um, Real in depth, you know, immersion in nature kind of experiences, much yeah. longer term experiences, yeah. um, through volunteering, physical fixing paths, maintaining fences, and, and planting trees, and bracken bashing, and you know, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Uh, get stuck in, get immersed in it, come on, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, much more valuable. No, that sounds, sounds really good, I'm gonna check that out actually. That's good. Yeah, I've not had a look at that. Yeah, yet. oh, go and have a look, yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. The stuff we've done and the stuff we're going to do. I mean, I like over the last couple of years because we're up here. Well, I'm up here right now for the Fort William Mountain Festival. Um, yeah. So over the last couple of years, I've I've seen yearly what's gone on, mm-hmm. uh, and the amount of work you guys have put in is it's mm-hmm. incredible. There's a lot of passionate people here. Yeah, you know? <laughs> loads so, of passionate people. There's a lot of passionate locals and a lot of passionate white settlers like me. I'm definitely a white settler. <laughs> I'm English, and I'll always be English. And I'll be reminded that I'm English in a nice way, in a yeah. very nice way, but. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that move here for a reason, yeah. and we're we're very keen to share that passion of, of this place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, there is some incredible people. I remember last year there was a video uh, shown at the festival uh, about a, uh, one of your volunteers that runs from Kinlochleven. Yeah, is it, no, he cycles from Kinlochleven to yeah, the start cycles there, the, and then he ran on over the West Island Way, and then he did a day of work. Shifting enormous rocks and saying, "No, it's not that hard. You just got to be clever and use gravity." Yeah, and then right. runs home and, and cycles goes, yes. back to his house. Yeah, and he's, he's an absolutely, he's yeah. a phenomenal character. Lovely guy, brilliant, yeah. amazing at, at his job, and yeah, just as enthusiastic and passionate about everybody else. Yeah. And, as everybody else about being out there and doing stuff out there. You know, yeah, it's brilliant. It's amazing that you guys have got that kind of people to work yeah. with. You know? yeah. uh, that's why, like, you know, having this in Fort William and, and the community you've got here it must help. Doesn't it? Oh, it's just great. I've got a no. So Dougie's quote on that film. He, he was a physiotherapist. Okay. And he so his his quote is there's you know people talk about bad posture. Have I got bad posture? Maybe I need to. Just, yeah. His thought is if you're thinking about posture, there's no good posture. We should be moving. You shouldn't be static. A posture is static. Yes. Yeah. You, you, that's wrong. Move. Just move more. Do stuff. You know. Move around. Stand up. Move around. And then you'll be right. Yeah. You won't have a bad posture. You want to have a well, he definitely moves enough, doesn't he? He moves. No, he's, he's living proof. That yeah, it works. Absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Absolutely. So, what's your uh, next work trip or big adventure? So, I'm um, right into Scottish winter right now. I'm like fully immersed in Scottish winter. Oh man, it was blasting in my face today, yeah. like anything. It was, uh, and enjoying that all the way through till um, well, to the end of the winter. You know, it's yeah. just what yeah. I like most. Are you helping out with the international? Me. I'm not, no, I'm aware yeah. that that's going on, yeah. and uh, you know, it's just great to yeah. see all those uh, climbing woods, very brightly coloured. Like, I've been looking at photos all morning, it looks yeah. amazing. Yeah. I'm amazed they've got actually got some winter. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's it looks really amazing good conditions, really good conditions, yeah. and, and that's timed perfectly. It's good weather as well, it's just oh, yeah. super. I'm hoping it sticks out for the week because I'm working yeah. all week, but I'm off the weekend. I'm, it is. I'm hoping to get out next weekend. It's going to be a good amazing. plan on it, it's going to be good. Go yeah. Excellent. Oh, I'm psyched out my mind yeah. for that. Yeah. Brilliant. That is us. Yay. Maybe we'll wrap it up there. Thank you, Thank you very much for sitting down with me. That was that was excellent. That was really entertaining. It, it's great fun thinking back on some of this stuff. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. And if, if I'm up here again in six months and nobody wants to talk to me anymore, then I'll give you a shout. We can do <laughs> a part two. <laughs> part two. Good stuff. 
Fantastic. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you. Well, a big thank you to Mike there for sitting down for that epic chat and a huge thank you to all of you who stuck it out through the poor audio. I promise it does get better. I hope you really enjoyed that chat because I definitely, definitely did. Uh, and just a reminder, when we do get back out climbing, be safe, do your buddy checks. I'll see you next time on Scott Rock. <laughs>